When you hear the phrase, soft as steel, what do you think of? While the word steel might conjure up images such as massive high-rise buildings, where does the soft part come in? And what exactly does this mean in our work and in our lives? Welcome to the Soft as Steel podcast with your host, Dennis Duran, featuring engaging conversations with a wide range of industry leaders around soft skills, how we practice love, inclusion, social justice, and compassionate leadership that's everlasting in the workplace. And now, here's Dennis Duran. I am very honored to be joined today by Christine Merton. She has done so much and been recognized so widely that I'm not sure how best to introduce her. Here's what I know. Christine has been looked to by so many in the construction industry as a leader that combines her technical knowledge and skills as an engineer with her positive and inviting personality that takes her to stages across the industry to share her extensive experience of over 30 years that began with her time serving our country. She holds both a bachelor's and master's degree in civil engineering from the University of Maryland, my alma mater, and is currently completing her work to add a PhD. Christine spent a combined total of over 12 years as a senior executive with one of the leading women-owned national architectural engineering program and construction management firms, McKissick & McKissick in Washington, D.C., where she oversaw program and construction management more than $15 billion in projects for the Washington Nationals, Major League Baseball Stadium, the O'Hare Airport Modernization Program, the Los Angeles Unified District, the Martin Luther King Jr. National Memorial, and the National Museum of African American History and Culture. I'm out of breath. It's incredible. Christine left McKissick and McKissick in 2010 to serve as the chief operating officer of the architect of the Capitol and briefly as the acting architect of the Capitol. During her tenure, she saw nationally significant historic projects at public buildings and properties, including the White House, the U.S. Capitol, Camp David, the Smithsonian, and the Lincoln and Jefferson Memorials. I'm not done yet. Christine is a recipient of the 2016 D.C. Professional Engineer of the Year Award. She's also an award-winning member of the American Society of Civil Engineers, a member of the Society of Women Engineers, and the Society of American Military Engineers. She's the past president of the National Capital Region ACE Mentor Program and serves on the National Board of Visitors for the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering at the University of Maryland. Most recently, Christine was elected to the prestigious National Academy of Construction. Whew. Christine, welcome to the Soft to Steel podcast. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. It should be a fun time today. I hope so. Did I state anything incorrectly or was it just way too much and you started uh, blushing? That, uh, <laughs> it made me feel like I've been around for a long time. <laughs> well, you've been around for a while and there's no doubt that, but we've known of each other for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. I had the privilege of serving as a consultant to your architect of the Capitol and I recall at least a couple of very enjoyable encounters that we had along with my boss at the time, Rebecca Jones, who is someone I know you know, yes, indeed. You know in the industry, one of my dearest friends to this day. You know, as I was reading, at first as I was preparing and then reading your introduction, it does strike me, and one of the things I may have wanted to say, in light of the fact, as you know from our conversations previously, I'm the softest steel guy. You know, I wrote the book. I talk about the whole notion of the importance of people's qualities and being successful in business and, and building great relationships. I also 
think it's very important for us to talk about issues that relate to the people in our industry. Uh, I know you're interested and very sensitive to issues that relate to two entirely different kinds of what I would like to say are opportunities that have not been as embraced as fully as they need to be. One on the positive, and that is the increased participation, both on an entry-level basis and in leadership, of women in the construction industry. And you've been a wonderful leader in that area, along with others that you have collaborated with over the years. But the second is an opportunity to do something to help many people in our industry and otherwise, and that is around the issue of mental health. You know, so I want to really kind of talk about those two aspects, because I know you're interested in both. I know you have something to say about both. So I want to talk about those two things. And again, just to remind you that a couple of years ago, I did a virtual event that was built around four topics. Uh, one topic was love, which you've heard me talk about a bit. Mm -hmm. I've referred you even to my mentor, uh, who talks about that quite a bit in his part of his tenets of leadership. I also talk about inclusion, which has some far-reaching implications, social justice, which touches on, and certainly in a, in a big way, the issue of mental health and the associated issues uh, around addiction uh, and suicide. Um, and then lastly, just the general topic of leadership and what you have uh, in, your, in your career path is a demonstrated, progressive, and consistent and forward-moving uh, role as a leader uh, at different levels in organizations, at the top of organizations, uh, and now as you sit in your own practice uh, advising leaders across our industry. Um, what a great person for me to have a chance to talk to. Thank you. And thank you for putting forth the soft skills that you're talking about, having a dialogue about that. Because, you know, as I'm back in school, I remember we weren't taught any of that. You know, we were taught, you know, engineering courses, mechanics, statics, dynamics, structures. And, you know, leadership wasn't part of the curriculum and still is not to a lot of schools. And I think the soft skills are really important. They make a huge difference in, you know, delivering projects, you know, having healthy organizations. So I'm glad we're having a conversation about today, but I'm glad you're pushing it, you know, with your books and your podcast. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's become, it's been consistently clear to me. Uh, that that it's not something we talk about. Just like we don't, frankly, uh, and we're going to discuss it in more detail. Uh, there isn't, there still isn't enough talk about the the changes that need to come to our industry uh, that affect people, both in terms of of their opportunities as well as their overall wellness. Again, you know, bringing up that that back end thought because it's just it, it, you know that we're not talking enough about it. We're not talking with uh, with energy about it. Uh, so again, what what you bring in particular. Particular. Now, and, and it was important to me to, as I, as I characterized you when I talked about, uh, about your technical knowledge and skills, which are well known to people and in the organization you've been involved with over the decades. Uh, but but, but more, more importantly, in some ways, uh, I chose the words to describe your personality as inviting. Uh, because I think that's the way you present yourself to people uh, that makes you someone that people want to listen to. Uh, so I want, I, with that thought in mind, I want them to listen to you talk about uh, about one specific project or uh, or program uh, that I know is near and dear to your heart. You were right in the middle of it in your leadership role at the Architect at the Capitol, mm -hmm. and there are many things we can talk about that relate to that, uh, both in terms of just the general nature of the planning and execution of that project, uh, but also, uh, and importantly, and again, I know that you value this, uh, what, was, what, what were the good things about that project that you could attribute 
uh, to the focus and the energy and interest and commitment uh, by leadership uh, within you as the owner organization, your construction management firm, your general contractors, et cetera, that, that made that, uh, at the, in the end, uh, a very complicated but very successful project. Talk about that project in any way you'd like. So I think the project you're referring to is the Capitol Dome Restoration Project. Correct. And, uh, you know, I would say we had a amazing team on that project. You know, when, you know, it was, you know, it's a project that everybody sees, you know, as we started the project, we started talking about it's going to be on TV somewhere around the world 24-7. So if there is a problem with the project, you know, it's not going to be too long before somebody knows about it. And, you know, the fact we had a couple of goals, you know, we also recognized it was the, uh, represents the, it's the beacon of democracy around the world. You know, so many people point to that, you know, beautiful dome and, you know, as they fight for democracy in their country. Um, so, you know, one of the key points we also uh, wanted to achieve is no I injuries. And we were successful in that. There were no lost time injuries, so safety was a high priority. So the complexity of the project, we had to think about it a little more broadly than just, you know, a structure. You know, talking about the project and getting funding for the project was actually fairly difficult. It took about 10 years to re receive the funding, but it came down to a message on the project. You know, as simple as it sounds, it worked, you know, the roof was leaking. But also we need to preserve this beautiful icon that represents the United States. So, you know, ultimately we did get the funding for the project. But the project was unique because the people were unique on the project. You know, the architect and I always believed in empowering our team. And our team was amazing from the, you know, the folks identifying the defects on the project to delivering the solutions on the projects were unique. But what really impressed me was um, everybody came to that project understanding their role and the fact that they were going to talk about this project to their grandkids and their, their great grandchildren were going to talk about, you know, my, my, you know, aunt, uncle, mother, father worked on the project. So they all came with that mindset. You know, there were a lot of deep dives into the history of the project. You know, whenever we ran into a problem on the project, the team would have researched it. When I say research the project, I mean, go back to the diaries of Montgomery Miggs, who was the construction manager, to figure out how what was the intent of building it. So just the, the passion that the team brought to the table was very impressive. And giving them the ability to find that out and not be restricting them to what we wanted, but for them to come back with telling us what, what needed to be done. They were the leaders on the project, you know, give it, giving them the authority to do it was so important. Um, so the other piece of this is um, the prior big project to this was the Capital Visitor Center. And as many know, it was over budget and over uh, delivered over time. It's a beautiful facility, so the final product was beautiful. But we had to restore trust to our stakeholders to receive the money. And that took time in delivering other projects. So trust is key. You know, empowering your team is key. Um, key points on this. So, um, but the other thing that many engineers are really not good at, and I can say that for myself, is communication. 
you know, as you think about the project, there were no bad stories on the project. And one thing I can offer to people who are approaching a very large program with a lot of public interest is develop a very strong communication plan because when there's a hole in communication, if you're not providing information on a project, that information is going to be filled in for you with not good news, with bad stories, because that's what people like. You know, we are we are built for that, the bad stories. So we came up with a very robust communication strategy, constantly feeding information to the public on the project, so much so that... Uh, we had a young man, I think he was eight or nine years old, you know, he had been seeing the press on the project and what we were doing. So he came to the Capitol with his family. He went up to the counter to get his ticket. He reached in his pocket. He pulled out the coins in his pocket that an eight or nine year old would have, put them on the counter and said, this is for the dome. I want to help pay for the dome. And so, you know, that level of interest, and we had interest from all around the country that you know, because, you know, we took trips to where the cast iron was being recast, you know, so we went to Utah. So we had the interest in Utah. Getting the trust from the client, empowering the team is, they came up with so many interesting solutions to so many big problems. It was incredible throughout the project. You know, um, the communication strategy, I think, is critical on all of this. And, um, you know, being willing to, willing to be open-minded to who's on the team too, you know, because, you know, you may have one mindset of how somebody is supposed to look or how it's supposed to be, but we had people from probably, I want to say like a hundred different countries come on that work on that project. Over a thousand people worked on, you know, we gave out over a thousand badges on the project, but really, you know, I like to say spreading the tent wide to bring as much expertise as you can. And the other thing I want to say is uh, celebrate. Don't forget to celebrate because I think we're really bad at celebrating when a project's done, but I think that's key. And we had many celebrations, chili cook-offs, pizza parties, Chick-fil-A, and maybe a couple other ones um, mm -hmm. that we had. But I just want to say that uh, such a great project. You know, there's so many technical things I could go into, but I mm -hmm. think for the purposes of today, talking about the people and the trust and the communication and, you know, I think that's what carried it over to be a project that was finished on time at budget and no lost time injuries. And it was a team that did that. Yeah. And that, that, uh, that, that whole notion of no, uh, no lost time injuries is not a small, uh, mm -hmm. uh, a small uh, outcome given the nature of that project. Cause again, I visited the Capitol a few times while it was ongoing and could see obviously from the exterior, what was happening uh, just in terms of, of preserving the exterior. I could see, you know, I, I was hearing from one of the, one of the uh, primary subcontractors uh, who was handling a lot of the of the uh, of the restoration from a painting standpoint. Mm -hmm. uh, just how just how challenging and complex it was. Uh, but I, but I, I don't recall ever hearing that it that, that was a terrible project or you know that people are fighting with each other or yep. the GCs uh, this or that. Mm -hmm. um, never heard any of those kinds of things, which is certainly a tribute uh, to the leadership. And again, uh, it seems. And, and correct me if I'm wrong. It seems that, uh, and when I refer to leadership, I'm talking about the you know the multifaceted st the stakeholder groups. Uh, so you know the, the the architect of the capital obviously being a focal leader uh, through your construction management folks and project management folks, which by the way were as I recall from my years uh, consulting to, to AOC were a, a fairly busy 
uh, group of individuals. To, yeah, to say, very busy. To, to say to say it mildly. Um, so, if you were to let's 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 stay with this for a little bit. From a, again, from a soft skill standpoint, you talk about trust. You talked about communication, and when I talk about I, when I when I refer to communication, uh, I, I talk about it as uh, as being a skill. Uh, and, and I, I further describe it as being a core competence mm-hmm. uh, that that everyone needs to recognize on a on a daily basis is something that can be improved upon, mm-hmm. uh, and that without us, us improving how we communicate with each other, uh, there will be opportunities for conflict, uh, for uh, wasted time and duplicate, duplicative communication, et cetera, et cetera. So, how how did you maintain uh, an awareness? Uh, across the the leadership of the project, the, the different stakeholder groups, uh, that when we talk about communication, we're not just talking about pushing through RFIs or change orders or other kinds of information. We're talking about how we interact with each other. Uh, how did you? How did? How was that perpetuated through the project? So I knew going to the project that you know I was going to spend a lot of time with the team and on the project, um, and I you know I just. Love that, you know, because I love being on site. Um, so as you mentioned, it was very, you know, had many levels of scaffolding. I think we had about 27, 28 levels of scaffolding or floors, if you will, um, to go up on the outside and probably about 15 or 16 on the inside. And, and probably a couple months before the uh, we actually started work, I actually started training on a Stairmaster for it. And uh, we had one of our superintendents, she actually got her knees replaced to, so she'd be ready to go up on the, on the dome. So we were all getting ready. You know, we had scaffolding training, we had media training, and we started doing partnering. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. So, um, and then we ended up receiving a lot of requests from many news outlets, I think 60 Minutes, the Today Show. Uh, receive tours. Um, we actually um, would give tours to members of Congress. I gave tours to many members of Congress. You know, you know, my own member Don Byer, Congressman Byer, as well as others who asked. Uh, so I think that actually created a relationship and communication and a level of trust with our stakeholders when we would bring them because it was a treat for them to come up on the dome to be part of it. Mm-hmm. Something they would not have gotten seen. We actually had a member of Congress who had his own roofing company. So he was just fascinated with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so giving the tours uh, was important. We actually had a petting zoo. So there were pieces of cast iron uh, were on the dome and they were, you know, uh, rusted and, and, and corroded. So we actually would take put them on a cart and take them to different members of Congress's office so they could actually hold it, physically feel and see the deterioration of it. You know, some try, and they were heavy and some tried to be, you know, uh, show how strong they were and try to pick mm-hmm. it up. And they, you know, it was very difficult to do. So the tours with the, the media, the tours with the members of Congress, the tours, the visiting the sites. So, the, so that from the stakeholder point of view, from a team point of view, I think you know, making sure the right people are on the bus, you know, selecting the right team was really critical. And we, we did a lot of that and making sure they were as passionate about it as, you know, their other team members. So from the AOC, we had phenomenal leadership from a project team 
on that uh, to our uh, construction contractor, to the CM, and from the architect. You know, everybody was very, very well invested. We did start partnering and to make sure our priorities were aligned. You know, we know we did risk about some really great risk management, one of the best in the country, and to do the risk management for the project. And I think having those conversations. Um, one of the, one of the changes, you know, we had a little bit of a rough start on, start on the project at the very, very beginning, but there was a uh, wonderful superintendent that came in and um, named Vito from, New, he was Vito, but he was from New Jersey. So just uh, kind of get a mindset on that. Mm -hmm. But he did a wonderful job of, um, you, you uh, to manage it, you must measure it. So to actually, to break the project down, putting items that needed to be measured that were on the critical path, but breaking them down so that we could really track them. So for example, there were 1200 cracks on the dome, you know, thousands of inches of cracks. We actually measured each inch to be fixed. So every week I would sit down with the team and we would all, they would brief me on how many inches were done. And that was critical because it was on the critical path. It was very difficult to find the laborers to do it because they had to be specially trained to do the lock and stitch method. And so Vito kind of brought that working with the team and everybody knew where we are because you walk into the trailer and all that's on the walls and updated on the screen or updated on the walls. And we were constantly telling, talking about it. So everybody knew where the priority was. Everybody knew what resources we had to put. Everybody had an open conversation of what the issues were. We did have one small safety incident where a piece fell down and you know, the, the team was empowered to shut down the project. Uh, because the safety was a priority. They made recommendations on how to make adjustments in the safety program and adjustments were made and we carried on, but that was empowering the team to come up with a solution, empowering them to shut down the site for safety and then, you know, switching on that. So, so, you know, from the stakeholder point of view, the public media point of view, the team point of view, and then I think uh, staying engaged with them on a regular basis, not necessarily to, I was, you know, they were so much smarter than me and hopefully leaders understand that you hire people smarter than yourself. Um, but just to see what resources they, my job was to see what kind of resources they need or what kind of obstacles I needed to get out of their way. And, but staying engaged with that, you know, at different levels. And like I said, you know, training for that is literally what I did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Would you, if you could identify from, again, from the individuals with the, with the higher levels of responsibility for the project, does, uh, does any particular role or any particular contractor's uh, representative stand out uh, as an example of someone who really mm -hmm. personified the kinds of behaviors that you thought were important and that you were seeing from your leadership perspective? So, so there were a number, as I mentioned, you know, Vito from Turner, he was a project superintendent, did a fabulous job of like getting our team focused and maintaining focus on the critical items to literally the inch degree. The, uh, the you know, our own project managers, uh, you know, uh, I, I hate to name names because I don't, I don't want to leave anybody out, but, you know, the AOC had a, a group, a small group of project managers that were just stellar. You know, mm -hmm. they would come to me and tell them, you know, show me a passage in Montgomery Mig's diary about, you know, how they applied on, you know, a, a product, I'm going to call it, say, the black stuff on the dome and 
they're thinking through the solution because they had the wherewithal to look in historical documents for the solution. I think Mm -hmm. historic arts and castings who did the recasting on the dome, you know, the, the cast, the dome pieces had to be sent to Utah. So we had to track each piece and each column could have 200 pieces on it. So tracking all those intricate pieces and how they got put together. But I think historic arts and casting did a fabulous job of tracking that and being sensitive to the importance of it. And even changing in the midst of it, the technology that was being used, you know, they used, um, I want to say lost, uh, wax or casting method and mm-hmm. they went to uh 3d printing to mm-hmm. um to to create the molds you know being able wow. to adjust on that and you know um you know actually in the midst of the dome i don't know if you remember uh the story about the mansion murders in dc where there was a, a family tragically killed the whole family well that was our, our one of our primary subs mm-hmm. and uh being able to uh um, recognize the sensitivity of losing a primary sub. The president of the company was was uh, um, brutally mm. murdered, mm. and his family, and uh, and also to embrace the family to be part of the team. Now, I think was one one of the things that uh, we did. You know, at the end of the we provided them with a tour at the end of the dumb construction and they received the same accolades the family did as the, as the, uh, the former owner did. So just kind of embracing that tragedy, embracing the team kind of, you know, helps bring the team together. So, you know, the painting sub, you know, the people that did the, uh, sponge shedding. So, uh, so many people came with so many solutions mm-hmm. and, you know, when we were restoring the dome, you know, you're not working with big tools to do the intricate work. You know, the mm-hmm. teams were coming in and literally working with dental tools, you know, mm-hmm. the little mirrors and the little, you know, whatever dentists you to work right. on your teeth is that right. that's what they were using to repair the dome wow. and just, you know, some great appreciation for that level of detail, the level of commitment, you know, we had, if there was a security incident, many people would have, everybody would have to come down, you know, mm-hmm. we'd have to evacuate the dome and then go back up and then keep working and stay on schedule that we had a blizzard you know, during the dome, uh, that put us back few, a few days, but being mm-hmm. able to navigate that cleared and keep going because wow. we had to be done with it before the inauguration. You know, we had right. a hard time. You had a hard they, deadline. Mm-hmm, we did. Yeah. All right. That's I think, I think people will enjoy listening mm-hmm. to this little conversation about that mm-hmm. project. Cause it's, as soon as you say U.S. U.S. Capitol dome, everybody knows what that is yes, in, in a really, yes. in a really big way. Yeah. And Let's, I think you know, given the events of the recent past, you know, people have probably a little more sensitivity yes. to that so yes yeah all right let's let's uh let's switch over and talk about uh, uh about a, i think a, a topic that i think uh is is getting more it's getting more conversational uh and i'm again there are two elements two, two topics actually but the first is is to talk about the change and how we we attract people to the construction industry uh and the idea that that uh that we need to do it differently. Uh, that uh, to talk about a, a potential uh, workforce as being diverse has a specific meaning. Uh, but now we talk about what diversity is. But more importantly, uh, the step forward uh, is to be inclusive. Uh, mm-hmm. So we talk about we talk about inclusion, and then right next to that, social justice, fairness. In other words, what are your thoughts about where 
where we are as an industry. Uh, again, looking back, it was diversity. Uh, it was uh, gender diversity. It was r racial diversity and all these other types of diversity, and there are many of them. Uh, and now we're, we're making some inroads in getting more women into the industry, which is hugely important. Uh, we're making some inroads with, uh, with, again, a diverse workforce on other bases other than gender. Uh, and we call, it, we call it inclusion and social justice. Where are we? As an industry, in your view? Uh, we have made some progress, but we have a long way to go. Uh, when I started my career, you know, late 80s, early 90s, you know, especially when I was in college, I was the only girl in the classroom. And luckily, I have the same, the ability to, to have gone back to the University of Maryland, you know, attending classes now. And I see such a great diversity of people in the engineering buildings uh, I remember a friend visiting me when I was going to undergrad, and she said, it's just like a men's locker room in here. Uh, <laughs> but nowadays, you see, you know, so many women, so, you know, different people from different walks of life, wh which is great. And I think the, especially the University of Maryland really embraces diversity. So I've got to give a hats off to them to do that. So I think mm -hmm. we've come a while, long while. Um, we still have two things. There is a deficit or need of 500 to 600,000 people to build what we need to build. You know, we have the Infrastructure Act and other acts, you know, and after COVID, there's more money that's being spent. We just don't have the people to build it. You know, the baby boomers are retiring. There's limitations on immigration. You know, the construction industry uh, may not be as welcoming to minorities and women. However, for pay, for women to come in the construction industry for pay, it's one of the um, number one industries for equity and pay. Mm -hmm. And we have Good seen point. an increase, especially in the last couple of years. It was running about 9 or 10% of people working for construction companies, both in the field and in the office, about 10%. Most recently, I think in 2022, went up to 14%. So we were, we're making some headway. Mm -hmm. But there's still a lot of opportunities um, you know, for people to come in, you know, when I was, went back to work for McKissick, I went during COVID and I was lucky to work with Daryl again. And one of the only places open for business was Texas. So mm -hmm. we were marketing to Texas and we won some great contracts in Texas, but we were the first minority to win a prime contract in Fort Worth, Texas. Wow. I think this was in 2020 or 2021. It mm -hmm. actually made the news. So there is a long way to go for minorities who went on business to win more prime contracts. Um, I think companies are recognizing the need to um, to have diverse workforce, especially reflecting the community. You know, um, school systems really want uh, companies to that are working on their projects to reflect the community, and I think it's important for businesses to recognize that. You know, that's that's important. Also, there are more women and minorities on boards. Um, there's been a huge driver on getting after the Me Too movements and Black Lives Matter to have women and minorities on boards. And those boards, those more diverse boards are setting direction about hiring more people and more women uh, for companies and to do work. You know, if you are choosing to do work to be a builder or a designer, construction managers for a private firm, 
um, they want more minority women representation in your organization. Mm-hmm. And I, I've seen that working for a minority-owned organization that we we had to demonstrate, you know, that we had diversity. And we, luckily, we had a great diverse organization. But uh, we're seeing that more and more. Mm-hmm. You you sit on the board of the ACE Mentor Program in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, that program has been around now for, I, I think, probably going on 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, founded by Charlie Thornton, a, a great architect uh, from New, New York City. Um, how are how, how is, are their efforts uh, producing uh, feeder uh, uh, candidates into into the pipeline? Or and and is 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 it, is it is it a model that's working? It is a model that's working. You know, I was the chair uh, the uh, chair of the board probably 15, 16, 17 years ago, and you know, coming back to it and being able to see the students are there. It, you know, it's it's reaching into the schools, introducing them to the program, and learning about opportunities in construction at different levels. And, you know, a lot of students are very interested. So, you know, we had a, a great diversity of students and that probably would have not even thought about going into architecture, architecture construction or engineering. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've spent, um, you know, my life in the field, you know, and, uh, you know, you know, growing up, my mother was a hairdresser and my father mm-hmm. had a mental illness, which means he couldn't work. So mm-hmm. I didn't have a lot of opportunity, you know, people around me telling me that, you know, there, here's this great opportunity. And luckily when I went to community college, it was introduced to me and then, you know, it's become a great career. But mm-hmm. I think with something like ACE, they're kind of doing the same thing at a younger level. And the University of Maryland even has a program, Women in Engineering program, that they reach into uh, middle schools, start that conversation in middle schools, put them in the girls in the pipeline, you know, meet with them again or touch base with them again as they are in high school. And then once they enter the university, they're there as a resource supporting them through. Mm -hmm. So I think you know, Society of Women Engineers, Women in Engineering, ACE Mentor Program, kind of, like I said, spreading the tent to reach Mm -hmm. out to others and providing that opportunity that provides you with a fantastic career, no matter what level you are. Yeah. Um, A comment, and the comment is, again, you're you're reinforcing, I think, one of the things that makes you such an important voice in our industry. Uh, And it's just the the energy uh, that that you display around all of these important aspects of what our reality is. Let's uh, let's close our time together, which is fast approaching, uh, to talk about one of the things that you that we both want to talk about, mm-hmm. uh, and that is this this notion of mental well or, or wellness in general, mental, physical, uh, and otherwise. Uh, what are your thoughts about where we are, uh, what the opportunities are, and what the uh, what the issues are? You know, I'm I'm glad that you bring this up because this is kind of an emergent issue. Last couple of years, uh, it's been discovered that the construction industry, this is from the the, uh, Bureau of Labor and Statistics, is one of the worst industries or has one of the highest suicide rates. Mm -hmm. And whenever I have a conversation with people about it, they are just absolutely astounded by this next statistic that I'm going to say. For every one death on a construction site, there are five suicides from somebody in the construction industry. For every, I'm going to repeat it again. For every one death on a construction site, there's five suicides. That doesn't mm-hmm. account the, even the people who have who have attempted suicides. Mm-hmm. And you know, the National Academy of Construction is doing a great job of 
having podcasts and conversations, the Construction Finance Management Institute is actually one of the leaders in this. You know, Australia actually recognized this probably six or seven years ago and has done a lot of research. And just for full disclosure, I am pursuing my PhD and getting the thumbs up to do my PhD on this topic. I think it's going to be really interesting because in the United States, there's not a lot of research, hard research. There's a lot of discussion about it. So I think all of us can relate that there's been somebody in their life in the construction industry or working for you that may have had this. I had a young man, he was actually working on a large project, Canon project at the Architects of the Capitol. And I got a call from a family member one evening that their son had not come home. He was 24 years old, a mechanical engineer, and wondering where he was. So I worked with the team, and, you know, unfortunately, the outcome of that is he took his own life. Mm. You know, so he was had a lot of support, family support growing up. But this impacts a lot of people because the culture of the industry you know, where people have to be perceived as being self-sustaining, macho is a word that comes out. Even though women in the construction industry commit suicide two times the amount as women in other industries, so it impacts them too. Being away from home, job insecurity, access to different type of medication, Mm -hmm. but not being able to talk about it. So we're seeing some progress with companies that are opening the door to talk about it, even encouraging people in the organization to talk about it. So, you know, I know we all know about safety minutes, you know, mental health moment to talk about, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being able to even have that small conversation that we're here for you. Also, if you see somebody that maybe not showing up, were they more introverted, not talking, not coming to work on time, not doing their best, you know, just, hey, how you doing? Not say, you're not taking the other aspect, you're going to lose your job, which is the wrong thing to say. But to mm-hmm. say, like, you know, what's going on with you? I'm here for you. Let's talk about it. To be, have those conversations and for companies to have those resources. And like I said, there are companies that are doing a great job with this, but probably for this conversation to have the awareness that this is a big, big problem. We've done great work in driving down injuries on job sites. Mm-hmm. This is our next focus that we really need to push because it's significantly worse than anything else that we're working on. So you probably hear me, probably hear Dennis talk a lot more about it over the next year because it is critical. And I just want to make sure that we're driving home the awareness of the problem and the fact that there are resources out there. You can Google like construction suicide. Maybe Dennis can provide some and I can provide some too for people out there to, you know, kind of give you a blueprint of how to address it. Mm-hmm. For If you're working for an architecture engineer or construction firm, there are resources out there for you. But then doing a deeper dive of like where the culture needs to change and how that needs to change, how we individual and everybody's a leader in some way need to change on how they need to show up. And I think, you know, Dennis talks a lot about soft skills and those soft skills are the core of making this better and fixing the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. 
Well, that's an important way for us to end this conversation. I wish we could talk even longer, but I'm told that if we go on longer, then people stop listening. So, but I'm grateful for knowing you. I'm grateful for the time you've spent with me today. One of the big challenges about creating this vehicle to try to get important conversations in front of the industry is getting it in front of the industry. So I continue to work hard at that. You know, my formula is as simple as productive conversations. And this one was really productive, instructive as well. And particularly talking about the Capitol Dome project. I think people would be fascinated to hear the things you talked about. So thank you so much for being my guest on the Softest Steel podcast, Christine. Dennis, thank you. And thank you for being my friend. Yes, thank you. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of the Softest Steel podcast with your host, Dennis Duran. Dennis is the author of Softest Steel and a leading speaker and trainer for organizations across many industries and verticals. To learn more about the work Dennis is doing to activate soft skills in the workplace, contact him at DennisDuranSpeaking.com. Be sure to check out his book, Softest Steel, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you'd like to get your podcasts. And please remember to share this episode with your friends, colleagues, and anyone you feel would benefit from the conversation. We'll see you next time on the Softest Steel Podcast with Dennis Duran. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.